those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Beck. Usually you'll find me out with the kids, but today I get the privilege of bringing the word, which is very exciting. All right, so (laughs) this week there was a lot in our chapter, right? Great chapter though. So what I thought I'd do, since we're nearing the end of our our series, it's a 31-week series and we are on week 30. So one more to go, which will be great. But I thought we might just do a little bit of a recap so that we can look at the big picture of what we've been going through. So the story, for those of you who aren't aware, is an abridged version of the Bible put together specifically to help us see the big picture, the overarching story of the Bible. This book tells the grandest, most compelling story of all time, the story of a true God who loves his children, who established for them a way of salvation and provided a route to eternity. We can see the God of grace, the God who speaks, the God who acts, the God who listens, the God whose love for his people culminated in his sacrifice of Jesus, his only son, to atone for the sins of humanity. (coughs) It truly is the greatest book there ever is. So I did put a little timeline picture through to the team. We'll see if it'll pop up. I just thought this might help us have a look at what we've been going through. So... It's been a journey through the word. We started at the very beginning as God created our world and brought mankind into being. And then we saw God's redemption plan unfold as humanity rejected him and decided to go their own way. We followed the nation of Israel through the Old Testament as they went back and forwards between rejecting God and coming back to him in repentance. And we watched God's grace and mercy as he gave them chance after chance, after chance to come back into that relationship with him. We stepped into the New Testament and we saw the coming of Jesus, born as a baby, both fully God and fully man, Jesus the Messiah. God bridged that gap that separated us from him by sending his son to die. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. He died and he rose again. Jesus changed everything. John Wesley said it really well. May we all thus experience what it is to be not almost only but altogether Christians, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus, knowing we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God and having the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost given unto us. Two weeks ago, we heard from Kate about Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the early church. And then last week, we heard from Pastor Adam about the conversion of Paul and the beginning of his ministry life as a missionary and an ambassador to the nations. Paul's encounter with the grace and mercy of Jesus completely transformed the rest of his life. Paul brought the gospel to Jews and Gentiles alike preaching that anyone who believes can be reconciled with God. So here we are. One more week left of the series. This chapter is called Paul's Final Days. And so you can see on the um, timeline, we're in that second last column. I don't know if it's still available, but we're right at the end, which is exciting. Paul was a man of many talents. 
In his early life, he was a scholar and a Pharisee. He was a tent maker, an evangelist, a missionary, and a writer of scripture. Paul could speak both Aramaic and Greek. He was born into a Jewish family that were living in Tarsus, Syria, and so he was a Roman citizen by birth. Paul had a powerful and life-changing encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus that completely transformed his life and changed his trajectory. Paul travelled into Asia Minor and Europe on three missionary journeys, sharing the gospel wherever he went and planting churches. He then returned to Jerusalem and was quickly arrested. Paul stayed in Caesarea for two years until he was shipped off to Rome, a prisoner in chains, where he spent another two years under house arrest, writing letters to the churches that he had planted and sharing his testimony with anyone that would visit him. Sorry. He was then released and embarked on one final missionary journey into Asia Minor. But not long after, Paul was again imprisoned in Rome, and this time he languished in a dungeon, chained like a criminal. This is where he wrote his final epistle, 2 Timothy. And historians tell us, even though we don't read it in the word, that he was tortured and beheaded by the evil Emperor Nero in 67 or 68 AD. So that's his life in a nutshell. Paul lived an incredible life, an inspiring life. He lived his life for Christ and the advancement of his kingdom. Paul planted many churches and was largely responsible for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the ancient world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together this morning to worship and to hear from your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, for your guidance as I share what you've put on my heart. And I pray that as we connect together today, Lord God, as we encourage each other, spend time together, that we would be a blessing to each other today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in looking at the life of Paul, it's impossible not to be impressed. He was an impressive guy, an amazing man of God. He lived a life fully devoted to God and to furthering his kingdom. As I've been researching Paul, there have been some things that have stood out to me, and so I thought I'd share to you today three lessons that I have learned from the life of Paul. The first is Paul boldly lived by faith. My favourite part of Paul's journeys is the shipwreck on Malta. I've been watching a documentary called In Pursuit of Paul, and the guy's name is Con Campbell. Really good series if you ever want to look at it. He's been studying Paul's letters for years. He's a real Paul nut, just absolutely passionate about him and his work. He has filmed his own experiences following the footsteps of Paul, the journeys that he took. And I was watching the one where he goes to Malta, the shipwreck. So let's recap. Paul had been imprisoned for two years in Jerusalem. He was then handed over to the Roman government and he was finally headed to Rome as a prisoner. He had been wanting to go to Rome for some time. We can hear it at the beginning of his letter to the Romans. Romans 1, 8 to 12 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you 
so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may mutually be encouraged by each other's faith. I love that. Isn't that what we should be to each other, mutually encouraging each other? So I do have a picture of Paul's journeys, just to put it in perspective. This guy travelled a lot in a time where travel was not easy. So Paul is headed to Rome, but it's not smooth sailing. And Paul warned the people on board that they shouldn't go on because of the weather. The centurion, however, didn't listen, and so they continued on and directly into a storm. And in Acts 27, we read about the storm and the following shipwreck. This account in the Bible is apparently one of the most detailed accounts of a historical storm at sea, which is pretty cool that it comes from the Bible. So we're going to pick it up in verse 13, and I'm going to read it out of the story, which is the NIV version. And I love it because you can, you can feel like you're in the storm in this passage, right? There was a harbour in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the, the shore of Crete. So I don't know if the... Oh, okay, we're going to see this at the moment. But you can see on the actual journey how far it is between Crete and where they ended up. It's actually a really big distance. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. This is an intense storm. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved." Not a good time. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Remember, it was like a long way before. <laughs> then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. So he's basically given everyone a guarantee that they're good, that God's got it, but they don't know God. So that's faith right there. <laughs> Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we're still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again, found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing they'd be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. And then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. So 
the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away, putting all their trust in this man. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. I don't know if I could have said that, guaranteed the life of all those people on that ship. After he said this, he took some bread, he gave thanks to God in front of them all, and then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid, I viewed this as like a little sailboat with like 15 people in it, <laughs> you know? Nearly 300 people on this ship. This was not a little thing. This was a massive ship in the middle of a really violent storm. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. So they've literally got nothing left. They've got rid of all their food. They are just relying on what Paul has said. When daylight came, they did not recognise the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life, since he's guaranteeing all of their lives, that sounds nice, and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump aboard first to get to land, and the rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. And in this way, everyone reached land safely. It's a big storm. But... God was right. Paul was right. He had the faith and God backed him up. So once they were ashore, they found that they were on the island of Malta. The Maltese people were really friendly. They built them a fire to help them dry off. And we all know the story at this point of Paul being bitten by the snake and surviving. He also went to the house of Publius, the chief official of the island, and prayed for his father, who was then healed. He also, Paul also prayed for the rest of the sick people on the island and they were healed too. These actions also take great faith. Paul boldly lived in faith. He didn't hold back. And as Paul stepped out, God gave him favour and blessed him. Paul stayed on Malta for three months and then they sailed for Rome as planned. But Malta has been forever changed because of Paul's time there. Not then, but now, even now. So in this documentary, it showed this guy arriving in Malta and he says, the very first night I went out for dinner in a little restaurant and on the back of my menu is an account of the shipwreck of Paul. In a secular restaurant with a full lengthy excerpt out of Acts directly. Pretty cool. The island of Malta has statues of Paul. There are tapestries depicting the shipwreck that brought him there. There's many other things on display honouring his memory. St Paul's Cathedral there is absolutely stunning. 
And there is a museum right next door in honour of Paul and his life. And even the bay there is named after Paul. So he has left his mark. Have we got the cathedral there? Yeah. Honestly, now I want to go and visit Malta. (laughs) So the time that Paul accidentally spent on Malta as a prisoner because he was shipwrecked there was massively significant. Paul lived boldly by faith regardless of his circumstances and God used him in amazing ways. He could have just sat back as a prisoner and waited until he could sail for Rome. After all, that was the plan. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's so easy for us to do that in life. When things don't go according to our plan, I get it. I like to be super organised and have everything in, a, in order and have all my ducks in a row. It's nice. It makes us feel comfortable. We think that we know best, but how can we possibly know better than God? If Paul hadn't lived boldly by faith, this would have been a very different story. In our lives today, what could God do through us if we decided to view the deviations to our plans as God opportunities instead? My second point is that Paul knew who he was and what he was called to. Now, I've put... I'll just see if there's a list of... I don't know if we can have all of them up at once, but we'll just go through. So, Sam, are you able to put up the verses? So, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Got another one? Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and with our brother Sosthenes, potentially. (laughs) Next one. Yep. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Philippi, Philippi, together with overseers and deacons. So we can see a pattern here. Paul knew who he was. He knew what he'd been called to do and he stated it very clearly right at the beginning of most of his letters. Paul had a singular focus. In Acts 20, 24, he says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul had totally offered up his life to Christ. Everywhere he went, he shared the gospel. He shared his testimony. He encouraged people. He challenged people to grow in their faith. He planted churches. He raised up leaders. In 1 Corinthians, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. He was a great guy. And when we see the incredible achievements of Paul, it can be really easy to forget where he came from. Before his encounter on the Damascus Road with the risen Lord, Paul went by the name Saul. He was present for the stoning of Stephen. And he was largely responsible for the wave of persecution that swept across the church in Jerusalem. It says in Acts 8 that Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. And in chapter 9, it describes him as eager to kill the Lord's followers. Now, none of this history took away from Paul's ability to be used mightily by the Lord. But I do wonder 
If Paul ever had moments where he had to fight guilt and regret, perhaps there were moments of insecurity because of his past that may have even made him question his calling. After all, Paul was human too. We know that we've all fallen short, as Paul reminds us in Romans. But sometimes, even though we know, we can struggle with insecurity and feelings of inadequacy. Insecurity is far more common than we realise, and insecurity can be really destructive. It can damage our relationships, it can limit our ability to dream big, it can ruin our confidence, and it can chip away at our self-worth. Now, it may come as a surprise to some of you that I actually struggle with public speaking. As a teen, I was incredibly shy and awkward, and I lacked confidence massively. I used to get so anxious and upset before any oral presentation that I would literally be vomiting in the bathroom. I hated it. I had allowed my insecurity to dictate who I was and what I was capable of. Even now, I have to really watch myself talk. Or before I know it, I'll be hearing, oh, you think you can do that? Why? What if you fail? What if you go down in flames? What if you say something really embarrassing, right? I'm sure I'm not the only one that has this issue sometimes. If you had told 15-year-old me that I would become a pastor in the future and I'd be up here preaching before all of you lovely people, I would definitely not have believed you. But God had a different plan. I think the enemy loves to use our insecurities to hold us back from the things that God has for our lives. And we shouldn't let him. The only thing we can be secure in is God. He is constant and he's got us. Who are we? We are the children of God. He promises to empower us to do more than we can imagine. We can rely on that. I read this great quote this week. Insecurity knocks from time to time. Invite it in for a cup of coffee, talk with it, understand it, and then take that sugar spoon and poke it in the eye. It says in Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And by reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ and hanging on to the truth that with God anything is possible, even for God to use someone like me, even for God to use someone like you, just like he used someone like Paul. It's only then that we can push through our insecurities and allow God to transform us to do amazing things. One of my favourite verses is 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. It says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. The final lesson I learned from Paul was that he served faithfully in all seasons. Now, we can see that Paul walked through many seasons. He had travelled all over the ancient world sharing the gospel, planting churches, he made tents, he was a prisoner, he was in chains for years, he was shipwrecked. At one point, he was honoured and revered as a god on Malta. He was beaten and tortured in Rome, and so much more. 
His was not your typical nine to five gig. Now, we're not all called to live that same life that, that Paul did, but we also go through seasons. Lots of things can affect the way that we serve God. It could be your age, your capacity, your family, your health, your work. The list goes on. I can remember as a young mum, I would often feel frustrated and limited. Now, we had four kids under six. Glory was technically five and a half when Nova was born. Um, And I can remember rocking up to church with my big double pram, with Avalon, who was like three, Phoenix, who was nearly two, Nova in the sling, and Glory holding onto the side. And it was a mission to get out of the house on a Sunday, and it was a mission to get to church. And I would spend the morning chasing my kids, giving them something to eat, changing their nappy, giving them something else to eat, chasing them again, and possibly getting snatches of conversation with other mums who were also chasing their kids. And I can remember getting home and just saying to Nath, I'm exhausted, why do I even go to church? Now that was a season. It's not what it is for me now, but it was then. I can see now that God used me in that season to encourage and befriend other mums who were struggling. But at the time, I struggled to see my purpose. God has a plan and a purpose for us no matter what season we are in. Don't underestimate how God can use you in your current season. Whether you're one of the youth who feels like you don't have much to offer, a newly married couple, a young mum with kids that keep you on the run, a single person, someone who works a lot of hours and comes to church absolutely exhausted, a single parent carrying a double load, a newly retired person unsure of what life looks like now. Or you could be someone who's walked through tragedy or divorce or the death of a loved one. These are the hardest seasons that we ever walk through. I remember when we lost our second baby, We were absolutely devastated, and I was so confused as to why this had happened to me. I didn't understand how God could use something like that for good. But over the years, I've been amazed at the multiple opportunities I've had with other mums who have lost their baby. And I wouldn't have had those opportunities if I hadn't been able to walk in their shoes, because I understood because of my experience, and I can see how God has used that. Now, it's important to note that the way that we faithfully serve God in seasons of grief and loss is very, very different to how we serve in other seasons of our life. We must remember to give ourselves grace, to step back and allow God to carry us through God knows our season better than anyone. He's with us in it. He knows our pain and he brings comfort and support through both his Holy Spirit and also other people around about us. So this is more of a time to receive, knowing that our time to give out will come again, but maybe not at the moment. I was talking with one of our lovely ladies the other week and she was telling me about all the different ministries that she's been involved in over the years serving in church. I could see, (coughs) excuse me, that God had used her in many different ways to be a blessing to so many people, both in her church community 
and in her neighbourhood community. She has served faithfully through many different seasons in her life. What an amazing legacy of service to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15:58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that in your labor, in your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Just invite the worship team to come and join me. So I just want to encourage you this morning, no matter what season you are in, you can pray for God to reveal to you how you can faithfully serve him in this season. Don't underestimate what God can do through you if you are willing to let him. So remembering our lessons from the life of Paul, as we boldly step out in faith, as we take opportunities and remind ourselves of our identity in Christ, and as we stay willing to serve faithfully in all seasons, God will be able to use us in amazing ways. Then at the end of our days, hopefully we can echo Paul's words from 2 Timothy. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. That's my dream. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and that we can learn from it. Even after reading something so many times, even a story so familiar, Lord God, you can bring revelation. Lord, I pray that today you will help us to rest in who we are, that we would know that we are your children, that we are called with a purpose that you have great plans. And I pray against the enemy telling us lies to say that we are not good enough or we are not adequate for the role that you have put us in, Lord God, because with you, anything is possible. So I pray, Lord, for fresh vision of what we're doing in our lives, for fresh understanding of where you're leading us, Lord God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we'd be sensitive to you that we would take opportunities that present themselves to love people the way that you would love them, to share your gospel, to share the hope that there is to be found in you, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that as we serve, that we would bring glory to your name.